Baptism weekend, always an exciting weekend. To be honest with you, from a preaching standpoint, it's always difficult because we never know how it's going to break out. You guys, you know, picked the right service today because a lot of the people getting baptized are getting baptized in this service. So it's just kind of the ebb and flow of time and things. And so I usually step out of what I'm normally doing. And we typically, right now, just start a study in the book of Philippians. So we're going to step away from that today. But I love the theme. I love the idea of gospel impact. And I wanted to take this morning, and actually will not be in Philippians, but go to 1 Corinthians 15. So if you got your Bibles or you got a Bible app, want to turn there with me. I want to talk about, though, the, the message of the gospel. Because that's something that gets so convoluted today and it gets so complex in people's minds you know but for those moments when somebody is open what do we need to share what does somebody have to know everything grows out of this seed of the gospel and paul lays it out for us here in first corinthians 15 in these first 11 verses so if you'll follow along as i read out loud that would be great now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which you have received and which also you stand, by which also you are being saved, if you hold fast the word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day according to the scripture, that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles, and not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached and so you believe. So what is the gospel? There are five pieces that I think as you begin to look at what Paul's saying here. (coughs) Now gospel means good news. What I find fascinating is though when you start with the message of the gospel, it actually starts with bad news. It starts with a problem. Notice there in verse 3, it says that Christ died for our sins. You see, the gospel starts with this reality that we all have a problem, and it's sin. And it's sin that separates us from God. You see that way back in the Garden of Eden. God made Adam and Eve to have fellowship with them. We read how he would walk with them in the cool of the evening. But all of a sudden, they disobeyed. They walked into rebellion. They sinned, and now they get kicked out of the garden. Well, why? Well, because God's perfect. God is holy. God is altogether righteous. He's altogether true. He can't fellowship with that which is imperfect and unrighteous. And that's what sin does. Now here's the problem. We all know that sin is bad, especially when you look at the sin of the other guy, right? You know, we could understand why God wouldn't really love them a whole lot. And I'm not pointing at you, Robbie, but I am pointing at you. You're you're right there. You know, because we, can, we, we evaluate ourselves next to that guy and we can make ourselves look good. 
Because we have this idea, well, I've not done any of the bad things. You know, I've never killed anybody. I've never robbed a bank. I've never done this and done that like other people have done. And so we don't think this sin problem was all that bad. But when you look at what the Bible says about sin, you realize, man, we all have a problem. The Bible would define sin this way when you put it all together. Sin is anything. It's a thought. It's a word. It's a deed. It's an attitude. Whenever we fall short of God's perfection. I mean, you remember Jesus said, if you hate your brother, you're like a murderer, right? Or if you lust after a a woman, you've committed adultery in your heart. And so, man, it's not just the things that we say or the things that we do or maybe even the good things that we should do that we don't. But it's also those things that even go internally. And man, I got to be honest with you. When I think about sin in that respect, I'd hate to think about how many times a day. I mean, you know, you just drive the roads around here. My attitude takes a beating. Because some of you people, I mean, I get asked all the time, why don't we have stickers for our car about Desert Springs? Because I've seen the drivers from the other churches. And we're not going to do that. It makes me question their Christianity. How could a Christian drive like that? Okay, you all know what I'm saying. Yeah. So, so the point is, is that, man, when you start thinking about sin, how, far, how many times a day we fall short. But let's just suppose that somebody was really good, they really cleaned up their life, they really disciplined their life, and they got it to the point of just only three times a day in any aspect of their life that they did anything short of what God himself would do. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd be impressed. That would be an impressive individual to me, but stop for a moment and even think about that guy from God's perspective. That guy, three times a day is all. But from God's perspective in a year, he sinned against Almighty God over a thousand times. You know, for me, that would be what? I'm I'm 58 now. That'd be 58,000 sins on my record. I mean, how would you like to stand before a judge here on earth? And he goes, how do you plead? Well, I'm not guilty, Your Honor, and I'm better than most. And he opens up the book, and there next to my name are 58,000 felonies. How much more so God when his standard is perfection? So that's the problem. That, that's why. And that's why the Bible tells us that sin leads to death. And, and when the Bible talks about death, you know, we think about death as the end, you know, because we, we put the body into the ground. But biblically, death is about separation. That's what happens when this body dies. Our soul, which is eternal, leaves this body. There's a separation. When you and I sin, we're separated from God. That's a spiritual death. And that's what the Bible says, that we all were born spiritually dead because we have been separated by our sin. It's a huge problem. Unless you think, okay, Steve, that's, that's about you and the other guy. The Bible's really blunt about this. And I know in this, this era of participation trophies, we don't like to hear this, but the Bible says we're all sinned. Right, Paul, in Romans chapter 3, quotes the book of Psalms when he says this, there is none righteous, not even one. In fact, he sums up that whole passage in verse 23 when he says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None of us measure up. That is the bad news, but that is a piece of the gospel. That's why we need good news. Now, the good news is found because what we find here in verse 3 is that Christ died 
for our sins. So the first piece of that is understanding Christ. The, the word has the idea, the anointed one. Or the Messiah. That God chose somebody who would come and save us. Somebody who would come and stand in our place. And that is Jesus. And so, you see, it just couldn't be anybody. I can't die for your sins because I have my own. And you can't die for mine because you have your own. And so God chose his own son, his eternal son, Jesus, to come to this earth. John Jesus' best friend put it this way, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus, the eternal God, became a man like us, the perfect God-man. And as he does life, here's the thing, he never sins. Well, how could he never sin? Well, because he's God. He never does anything less than what God himself would do. Never an unkind word, never an impure thought, never. He was perfect. But now, as the perfect one, he becomes the perfect sacrifice. Because the Bible says the wages of our sin is death. He's never sinned. He doesn't need to die. We know that we're separated from God because of our sin, but he's not. He's never sinned. There should be no separation between him and his Father. But he comes to stand in our place. And that's why in verse 3 he says, but Christ died. And folks, that's the healing piece of this. It wasn't just that Jesus came. It wasn't just that Jesus lived a good life. It wasn't just that Jesus became an example. Jesus died. The theological term is atonement. He died for us. He paid our penalty. He stood in our place. He he was there where we should have been. In fact, the Bible puts, I love the way Isaiah puts this. So Isaiah is prophesying of what the Messiah will do. And if you've never stopped to look at the pronouns, look at the pronouns of these two verses. This is what he says. But he, speaking of the Messiah, speaking of Jesus, he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are the ones who are healed. Because all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We all have turned to our own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of all of us to fall on him. Because he was the perfect one. He was the one who knew no sin. So as he goes and he has the crown of thorns placed upon his head and he is whipped at the woman whipping post and he is nailed to the cross, he is paying the penalty that you and I deserve to pay. He is paying for our sins so that we could be forgiven. So that this thing which separates us from God can be taken away. In fact, I love how Paul puts it in Ephesians chapter 1 he says this in him speaking of jesus we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses forgiveness why because our debt has been paid jesus stood there for us that's the beauty of the gospel that he loves us so much that he came and died for us and he provided that healing for our soul the best way I can illustrate this is, is with this. So let's suppose instead of this being a Bible, let's suppose that this, this book were a record of my life. So it would start with my birth certificate, 
it will end someday with my death certificate. And written on the pages of this book are everything I've ever done, I've ever said, I've ever thought, even the attitudes of my heart. Now, I'm going to tell you two things about this book. Number one, it would be a lot bigger than this, because I'm like 58 now, right? Okay, so I've got a big old life there. It's been lived. Secondly, I can assure you that if this were the record of my life, I wouldn't be carrying it out here in public. You know why? Because I don't want any of you to grab and start nosing through it. I mean, would you like me to nose through your book? No, because the reality is, man, I've got some stuff in my book that I just assume nobody ever knows. And I'd love to, to forget. But the problem is it's there. And here's the scary thing. Book of Revelation, that final judgment, the Bible says that on that day, God will open the books and judges according to what's in it. So here's the problem. Here's me. Here's all my sin. And here's God. Now, God loves me and wants to have a relationship with me, but there's something in the way. And that something is my sin. And I can't fix it. There's no way, I, even if I became perfect today, that stuff is still there. So God saw the problem. God became a man in the person of Jesus. Jesus lives a sinless life. Then as he goes to the cross, God takes all of my sin, all of your sin, and puts it upon Christ. Now all the punishment and all the wrath that we deserved... He puts on his own son so that as he pays for our sin, now it's gone. We can have a relationship with God. That's the healing that he talks about. I love how Peter, in fact, Peter actually pulls that idea out of Isaiah 53 and he says this, and he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds you were healed. Folks, that's the good news. Good news starts with bad news. We're sinners. But that led to a Savior, which led to our healing when he came and died in our place. Which, did you notice here in verse 4, that it doesn't end there, though, with the gospel. In fact, what does he say? He says, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day. So, Another very important part of this gospel message is that not only did Jesus die, but he rose from the dead. Why? Well, number one, the resurrection is the greatest apologetic for the Christian faith. Because Jesus kept saying, when, when his enemies would ask, by what authority do you do this? By what sign do you give us that you really come from God? He says, I'm only going to give you one sign. Just one. He called it the sign of Jonah the prophet. Just like Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so I'm going to be in the belly of the earth. Third day, I'm coming out. I find it so fascinating that uh, when Jesus died, Joseph of Arimathea asked for his body, takes it down, he puts it in a tomb. It was not Jesus' friends, it was not Jesus' followers, but it was Jesus' enemies who went to Pilate and said, this man claimed that he would rise from the dead. They knew. So Pilate, you've got you've to make sure that, that that tomb is sealed. So he sealed it with a Roman seal, that if anybody would break that seal, roll that stone away, they would be put to death. He's the one who put the Roman guards out there. He's going to keep watch over that body. But guess what? Just like 
Jesus said on the third day on Easter Sunday morning, he came up out of there. It's the greatest apologetic for our faith there is. And not only that, it points to our future. It points to the fact that we don't have to fear death, that now because we're forgiven, we have eternal life. We have a relationship with God. Do you remember what Jesus said to Martha when he's, he, you know, Lazarus had died and he's on the way. He's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He gives her these great words. I am the resurrection and the life. He who live, believes in me will live even if he dies. There's a future. We don't have to fear death because we know to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. And in the very next verse, this one's even better. And he says, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. You go, whoa, whoa, whoa. People have, you know, believed in Jesus and died for 2,000 years. Now you're missing what he's saying. Because again, he's talking about it from a real, death is not the end. Death is separation. He's not talking about physical death here. What he's talking about is spiritual death. When you and I are forgiven and we are part of God's family, we will never die because when this body, this, this, these lungs take their last breath, this heart beats its last time, man, I just go to his presence. Never die. I'm going to be more alive then than I am today. It's a great thing. That's the future. It's part of the resurrection. There's one last piece to this, and it's the piece that actually more people struggle with than than anything and it's this idea of the way back uh, he mentions it twice here in verse one he says now i make known to you brethren the gospel which i preached to you which you also received he says it again in verse 11 whether then it was i or they so we preached and so you believed the reality is folks there is only one way, and it is by believing in Jesus. And it is this one way that creates so much angst. It's going to create more angst in our society the way we're going because we're told that this is bigoted. It's narrow-minded. You know, people don't believe in Jesus. What if they've ever heard all this kind of thing? And, and somehow they want to make it sound unfair. But Jesus told us ahead of time. He was really clear about this. In Matthew 7, he says, Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, the way is broad that leads to destruction. There are many that find it. But the gate is small, the way is narrow that leads to life. There are few that be that find it. Jesus said, listen, there's, no, there's only one way. It's the narrow way. And what he said is, I'm it. I, it's the only way. You've got to believe in me. In fact, in John 14, he puts it this specific. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one, no one comes to the Father except by me. Folks, that's the message of the gospel. Jesus came. He died for our sins. He paid the penalty. He's risen from the dead. He offers now forgiveness as a free gift. The question is, how do you get it? You get it by faith. Well, let's talk about what faith isn't. It isn't just believing that Jesus lived. It's not believing just that he did some good things. What we have to believe is that he, as the Son of God, died for us. We trust in Jesus alone for our eternal salvation. That I'm not trusting. You know, most of us are trusting in ourselves. We're trying to be a good person. Or we're trusting the fact that we went and got baptized. Or we're trusting the fact that we go to church. Or we're trusting the fact that we're a good person. None of that is believing in Jesus. Believing in Jesus comes 
with the reality I'm a sinner. I can't earn it. I can't deserve it. But Jesus died for me, and I put all of my trust in him. So Paul says, you heard and you received. We preached, you believed. That's what brings eternal life. These that are getting baptized this morning are coming, giving testimony of the fact that they have put their faith and trust in Jesus. They have been washed clean. They have an eternal relationship with their God. They're just giving you evidence of it today on the outside because faith happens in the heart. So my question to you is, have you come, have you come to that point of putting your faith in Jesus? Have you asked him to be your savior, to, to wash your sin away? Great thing is, if you haven't, you can do it today. Because faith is a choice. You choose to believe. And if you'll ask him, he'll come into your life. He'll wash your sin away. He will give you an eternal relationship with him. That is the good news of the gospel.